Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by senior pastor Clint Shambler. He's preaching from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Good morning, Church of the Beloved. My name is Clint. I'm one of the pastors here as well, and we continue on our series today in 1 John. Uh, we're back to it uh, and continue on from what already has been built and already what has been laid out in it. And today, we have lots and lots of key concepts and core concepts that are near and dear to the Christian doctrine to get through. Uh, we have we have mention of Satan, and all of a sudden people start getting a little squirrely, start getting a little out there. We have mention of sin and lawlessness and who is a Christian, who is a son of God, who is a daughter of God. Today, I want to give you a full presentation of the gospel. One of the values we here at, at COTB have is gospel centrality, meaning this. The gospel is infused to every single inch of what we do, who we're about, and what our goal is. Today, I want to explain what that gospel is according to John. John gives us a very clear picture of what that looks like and how we can do it today. Uh, I want to show you that. Now, many of us in the room uh, may be very new to COTB. You might even be considered yourself a non, uh, a a non-Christian a non-religious person, a non-churchgoer. That might be part of your biography, part of your story. Today, I want to give you an understanding of what the gospel is so that you can tell yourself, hey, I'm going I'm to take what John says, I'm going to apply it to myself. It's going to be a rubric. It's going to be a diagnosis for me to make sure I understand, am I of Christ? Is Christ in me? John gives us a very, very clear explanation of how we can tell that, how we can have assurance of that. So, Maybe you've, you're, you're part of your narration story, part of your history as well. I've, I've always been part of church. I was baptized in the church. Uh, yes, Pastor Clint, you can use all the Presbyterian jokes because that's what I grew up, and, and you and I are the same. And I was baptized and always been part of the faith. How do I know that Christ is in me? Or maybe your biography is, I can't help but keep on interacting with this Jesus guy. And this Jesus guy has something for me and some understanding for me. I need to know more. I want to know more. And maybe you've never had a profession of faith, or maybe you've never been religious. Today, I want to show you, don't be religious. Be faithful. I want to show you what faith is, according to John, as he gives this beautiful, beautiful understanding of what the gospel is. Now, uh, I just read an article this last week that was trying to encourage all of us. I love artists. Artists are my favorite people in the world. Sorry, all the rest of you. Um, artists are fantastic. Creatives are fantastic. Because I look at, at what somebody does that is creative, and I go, oh my gosh, how, how did you do this? This is fantastic. This is beautiful. This is, this is glorious. And I'm jealous of all of you. And this article is trying to tell me that we're all creatives in some regard. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I believe that. And yet, after reading it, I couldn't help be, but be compelled. Maybe they're onto something. Today, I want to actually go to creatives to show us a commentary. This is why I love artists and love creatives. Um, pardon my very, very binary understanding of who you people are. Uh, so pardon me. Artists are great at commentary, not great at solutions. Okay, if you want solution, you go to practitioners. Okay, artists are always the one that are like, 
let me, let me show you this artistic painting of what really sucks in the world. And here's a painting. You're like, oh, yeah, that does suck. No, the world sucks. And here's your, here's your artistic rendering of it. Or here's a music about it. Here's a play about it. Uh, here's an artistic rendering of angst, right? Uh, young, starving artist is a thing. Uh, the emotion involved, the, the commentary involved. Today, I, I want to show you a commentary of what I think the world has currently that's a problem. And again, I'm going to go to artists for this. Uh, this last week, I, I watched The Banshees of Irishiran. It's a great movie. Um, fantastic movie. It's up for all sorts of awards. It's, it's just soaked with so much commentary about our world. It's set within the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, 1922-1923. And in this movie, there's this very, 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 very important line midway, just a little bit into it. One of the characters makes this comment. The whole movie is about loneliness and community and relationship and, and, and even it has a commentary on how men handle stress and handle relationships and we handle it very poorly most of the time. It talks about that. <laughs> this movie very, very poorly. It talks about what we want in life, how we want communities and relationships and people and cities and countries and, and friendships and neighbors that are kind and that are generous and that are helpful. And one of the characters midway through the movie says, he's a, he's a kind person. And there's a situation that comes up in which he's rejected. He's no longer wanted. He's removed from community. And he says the line, he says, when did being kind become not enough? And he goes, what? When, I, I was a kind guy. That was it. That was good. That was glorious. You, I, I was with you. We were in community. When did being kind stop being enough? And there's other things that we added on to it. See, I think the artists that were rendering this movie has hit a touch point for a lot of us. And maybe I can, maybe I can define it like this. If I asked 100 people, do you want a life full of good people, kind people, generous people in community, where you're known and accepted, where you're fully known and fully accepted, a 99 out of 100, and there'd be one of us that's just a jerk. And that was probably me. I'd probably be like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> There's 99 out of 100 that would say yes. So here's my question to you, and, and this is what the movie is trying to extrapolate out. If we all want that, which we do, why don't we have it? If we all want that, if 99 out of 100 people say yes, I want that, why don't we have it, and why do we suffer, and why do we have problems, and why do we have war, and why do we have issues? And the fact of the matter, what this movie shows us, and what I would like to show you, and what I would like to have John express to us, is you and I know what we should have, but we have no clue how to get there. You and I know what we should have, and we have zero idea how to get there. It's much like Frodo in Lord of the Rings that says, as he's going on this quest to destroy this ring, he says, I want to go, but I don't know the way. I want to destroy this ring, but I fear I don't know the way. Can somebody help me? And then all of a sudden we have this very iconic moment where people start saying, you have my sword, you have my bow, you have my ox. And it's just this glorious moment. So good. And you're like, yes, Frodo! We are, can we, church, friends, here's what I want us to admit today. Can you admit this, please? We're all little poor hobbits trying to figure out what to do in life. And we have no clue. We want kindness, we want goodness, but we have no clue how to get there. Today, I want to show you that First John tells us the answer to our problems is defining three things. 
the answer to I want a good life full of good people and good things, we have three things we need to understand about it. First, we need to know what is sin. Secondly, we need to know who is a Christian. And lastly, how to be saved. I, I got my work cut out for me today, okay? We're going to define sin, I'm going to define a Christian, and I'm going to tell you how to be saved. And then we're going to wrap it up, and there'll be no questions asked, and we'll go home all full together. It'll be great. John tells us to, ha- to know what kindness is, to know what love is, to know how to have a good community. We need to know what is sin, who is a Christian, and how to be saved. First, what is sin? It says in verse 4 and 5, it says, sin is lawlessness. And then it goes on to say, in him there is no lawlessness. Now, this word that's used for lawlessness uh, equates it to sin. So if I was to ask you, what is sin? Many of us would start listing activities, would we not? Well, it's a sin if you do X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z is a sin, don't do it. It's not what John says at all. How John defines sin, and I'm going to try to work out by combining it with lots of other biblical principles. What John says is sin equals lawlessness. Now, you're going to say, well, pastor, well, pastor, a law is a behavior, is it not? And what I want to show you today, friends, I want to free you. If you think sin is wrong activity, I want to free you. That's not what the Bible says. If you believe that, if that's crushing to you, if you have shame and guilt associated with activity being a sin, I want to encourage you. Sin activity is a manifestation of sin, but not sin itself. Behaviors manifest sin, but is not sin itself. And let me show you. This word that, that John uses, enemia, uh, for the lawlessness, means this. It means one who despises law or lives as if no law exists. It's one who lives as if no law exists. Really quick, if I was to... Look, I'm, again, I, I, I said the other day I was old, and somebody said, you're not old, and I said, yes, I am. And don't take that from me. I don't have much in life anymore. I have this, okay? If I were to give a commentary on our current culture and our current generation, what better way to describe it than to say there are no rules? We live, our culture lives, our society lives, as if we say there are no rules. Rules are what you make of it. There is no law. Law is in us, and we make law, and so on and so forth. That's something that, that if I were to describe the world, as I will get into later, as John describes the world, the world has always been, will always be, can never change from one that says, we have no authority, we are the authority. We are the authority, I am the law, no laws over me. There, there is no law, I make my own law. That's actually part of the problem, and that's what John defines sin as. So let me, let me try to flesh this out a little bit more. So if, if I just said, hey, here's the word that John uses. It means one who lives as if there's no law is, is lawless. And you go, okay, that, that, that sort of helps. It's not behavior. So what is it? Now let's go holistic on the Bible. It says in Romans 6, we aren't as we should be because the wages of sin equal death. That's what Romans 6 says. Wages of sin, and if I was to take sin out really quick and put it to our new definition, lawlessness, or one who lives as if there's no rules. Here's what Romans is saying. If you live as if there's no rules, you will die. This is a very easy concept, okay? 
Uh, I was just talking to uh, somebody uh, earlier this morning, and we were talking about health issues, uh, and I was talking about my, my health, and I just went to the doctor, and the doctor's like, yeah, you need to really shape up on X, Y, and Z. And I said, okay, I should shape up on X, Y, and Z. And I was regaling them with this, and they're like, dude, just don't go to the doctor. <laughs> and I was like, that actually would solve my problem. <laughs> like, like, I would solve my problem in totality. By the way, it was Pastor Abe. I don't know why I shield his name. It's, it was Pastor Abe. Um, and, and I was like, I, I could do that. I could just go to no There are no rules. Doctor, you have nothing over me. You have no authority over me. And it's like, cool. Nope. <laughs> See no evil. Hear no evil. There is no evil. We're fine. What Romans tells us is death will come if you have no rules and if you have no understanding. If there's, if there's no awareness in your life of law, you will die. John says that's lawlessness, that's sin. It then says in chapter, uh, it says verse 1 and 3 of John as well as 4 and 5, it says the world doesn't know him. And then it goes on in 4 and 5, Christ has no sin, meaning he's the opposite of lawlessness. So it says in 1 John, Christ is the opposite of lawlessness, meaning he is lawful, right? Okay, so Christ is lawful, the world doesn't know him, meaning the world is full of lawlessness. That's what John says. That's his argument. That's what he's saying. Our problem is the world is not as it should be because it doesn't know Christ, and therefore it's full of lawlessness. There it is. That's, that's sin in a nutshell, in a quick flyover, big-picture understanding. See, in Genesis 3, what had happened in the garden is there was this lie. First John talks about Satan, so let's talk about Satan really quick. No, Satan is not a red devil with horns and a pitchfork in a cave somewhere with fire all abound. That's not hell, and that's not Satan. Dante gave us that imagery. That's, that's Dante's gift to us in the world. But it's not the picture of hell and Satan. The picture of hell and Satan is simply this. In eternity, by yourself. That's what hell is. Now, really quick. Could you imagine a world in which you live in eternity with only your thoughts, your perspective, your intellect, and your character? And you go, forever? Forever. Could, could I give you a worse hell? Could I give you a situation where worse things happen? I, I don't think I can. I would, I would rather go to Fresno, California than that. And Okay, so you guys know Fresno. That's great. All right, this is fantastic. All you barrier folk are like, yep, 100%. Maybe Bakersfield, maybe. But I, I digress. The garden says this. Satan has this conversation with Adam and Eve. And what happened in the garden is that God says, you can have all the garden. He gives them all the entire, he says, go eat, go be fruitful, go live, go walk by the cool of the day, walk by the river, walk, walk, walk in my presence. And then he adds one caveat. He says, you can literally have 99.9% .9 of the garden, except you can't have the tree of life, the tree of knowledge, and an understanding of, of, of what that is. Now, I want to I show you something really quick. Do you notice how God never says what that tree is specifically? He never defines what it is fleshed out totally. He just says, don't have it. It's very, that's unique to me. You should, friends, you should go, that's unique. That's, that's interesting. Do you know who supplies an answer as to why God would ask that? Satan. Satan comes and says, well, Adam and Eve, you know, he doesn't want you to eat of the tree because you'll be just like him. 
what Satan does with the lie upon all lines, what sin and lawlessness is, is in the garden. It says this, God told you no because he doesn't want you to be like him. You can be like him and be over him. Lawlessness, no authority, no rules, no king. That's what sin is. See, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree, what they did is they said, God, we don't want you. You gave us 99.9% .9 of the world. We can do anything we want with this. They were really petulant teenagers, weren't they? Remember when you were a teenager and your mom and dad would say, now, now sweetheart, now honey, now, now buddy, don't do this. What did you go do the second they said that? Like, well, I'm going to do that then. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off and, and, and do this. I, I, I remember... Church friends, were you dating somebody that you shouldn't have been dating? And somebody said, don't date that person. You're like, I'm going to date them harder now. You're like, that's a weird flex. Like, we just want to be disobedient. It's in our nature. So we hear we can have 99.9% .9 of the garden. You can't have that. And we go, I want it. And Satan said, oh, good. I want to give you a lie. The lie is you'll be like God and you'll see what he does. So be like him and have no rules and have no oversight and have no authority. Be lawless. Look, look at the story again. He said, name the animals, be fruitful, multiply. He's, he's telling them, go live life. Go have fun. Go be kind, gentle, encouraging community. What we all desperately want. And then he gave them one rule. He gave them one do not. He said, go, do, procreate, name the animals, tend to the garden, that's all positive activity. He gave them one don't, and they did it. Because Satan picked up on the lie and said, God doesn't want you to be like him. Lawlessness. See, the garden taught us, we embraced, that when we hear a rule, we don't want it over us because we think we're better and kingly and queenly and smarter and brighter that's what we think. That's sin. Do you see how this plays out with action? Now, let's go back to action. Let's go back to the definition of sin. If sin is lawlessness, as John is telling us, one who thinks there is no authority over our life, when, you don't ha when we have martial law, how bad is life? I, I don't watch them because, again, I'm old, but the Purge movies, I just can't get behind. I, I, I'm going to be freaked out by them. I am so simple-minded like that. But the Purge movies show us the chaos of this, don't they? There are no rules for one night, and what happens? The world descends in chaotic, horrible mess. The Banshees of Irishiran say, I don't want to follow the, the rules. I don't want to follow the old ways. I want to follow new things. Chaos ensues. Community falls down. I know best. Friends, it's literally the lie of Satan. I'm not, I'm not making it up. That's what John says. That's what, that's what Genesis tells us. That when you reject authority habitually, habitually, you live a life as if there's no authority. You say to yourself, I know better. I have better laws. I have better rules. I have better ways. I'm smarter, brighter. That's what Adam and Eve said. They said, I'll follow this guy instead of the man who provided 99.9% .9 of goodness for me. I want to reject 99.9 for the 0.1% that I can't have. How much does that define us, church? Does that define you? If I was to ask you, let me ask you this. If I was to ask you, what's the one thing from, that's stopping you from follow, following Christ completely? You can think of it, can't you? 
well, he asked me to do this, or he, does, he asked me to abstain from this. Or... Let me just encourage you. If you pick and choose what God does have jurisdiction over you at or not, guess what he is to you? He's not a king. He's not your authority. He's some advice column. I'll, t I'll, I'll take these little pieces. These are, these are good advice. This, this will help me. This will, this will make me feel better. But if you don't take complete authority over him, guess what you're saying to him? You're not my king. You're my advice columnist. You're my, you're my Wikipedia page. <laughs> you're my Google search. You are not a king, though. Sin is not the behavior of it. Sin is this. And, and I, I get questions from a lot of us today. A lot of people have these questions for us, and, and, and I want to encourage you. This is the right question. This is the right question, friends. When we say, Pastor, I read the Bible, and there are, there are things in it that are hard for me to swallow. I don't like it. Comma. But if God is good, he knows better than I do. That's authority. That's compelling. Do you know what that is in much of life? We're going we're to get to it here in a little bit. That, that's what marriage is. That's what being a parent is. That's, what's, that's what being a citizen of, this, of, a, of a city, of a state, of a country is. Imagine if you went to the governor of Illinois and say, ah, yeah, I'm going to follow everything you say except for these five laws. Do you know what the governor of Illinois is going to say? Welcome to a jail cell. Congratulations. Well, I'm going to pick and choose what laws to follow. You're not under the authority of Illinois then. You're not under the authority of America then. You're not a citizen. You're a stranger in a land. Ah, wait a second. That sounds very familiar. That's biblical. That's what sin is. Sin is us having citizenship to a king, and we were once strangers to him. We are strangers to him, except there's good news. That's the first part. What is sin? Habitual lawlessness, acting as if there's a new authority over your life. And can I just tell you, friends, no one can live that way. No one can live that way, because the second I ask you, well, how do you know what's right? How do you know what's good? Whatever you put in that category, that's your God. So if, if, if you were to say, well, how do you know what's good? And he's like, well, I follow my heart. Guess who's your God? Your heart. Well, I, I, I follow the advice of so-and-so. Well, that's your God. Whoever you substitute for that authority is your God, is your life. And sin is lawlessness apart from the great king, Christ. Next, what is a Christian? Now we know what sin is. Now we know what the problem is. Now we know the wages of sin equal death. Lawlessness equals death. No goodness, no kindness, no community. What is a Christian? A Christian, now if I was to ask this, what makes somebody a Christian? Again, I got lots of opinions, don't I? There's a list. And typically, here's what, if I go outside the church and I say, what's a Christian? Let me summarize it as this. Somebody might say, well, if it walks like a Christian, talks like a Christian, acts like a Christian, it's a Christian. We use the duck analogy. Walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. No. No. Let me tell you, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what John says. John says in, in verse 1 and 7, it says, whoever practices righteousness as he is righteous. And you think to yourself, well, righteousness, I have to be a righteous person. Isn't that how I act? Be careful. What, what, do, we, what do we just say about sin? We said it's lawlessness. Christ said, I come under the law, is what he says. I put the law all on me. I follow every jot and tittle, as he says in scripture. I completely follow the law. 
And it says, be righteous as he is righteous, meaning follow Christ's rule of authority, of lawfulness, of following one who's above you, having a king. That's what it says. It doesn't talk about behavior to find. It doesn't, it doesn't say be righteous like Christ is righteous by and then list 10 things. It doesn't subjugate behavior and actions into really bad, really, really bad categories and kind of bad categories and kind of good categories. It says be completely righteous as he is righteous. Be completely under the law. That's what it says in John. If you are the opposite of lawlessness, Christ is in you. That's what John tells us. Being in authority under God is lawful, is a Christian. Now, if I just gave you that big, broad category concept, it would be wildly unhelpful to you. You would leave here crushed by that. If I just stopped the point right there, if I said, a Christian is somebody who is righteous as Christ is righteous, and I said, go be fruitful, you'd be like, I have no idea what that means. So let me help you. It says in verse 9, the seed of God is in them. Okay, this is important. This is crucial. The seed of God is in them. There are two parts of this that we need to understand. First, when a seed is in somebody, it's, it's complete, it's final, it's total. And then secondly, a seed is gradual. A seed is final and a seed is gradual. Uh, my daughter came running up to me this morning and I, I pick her up and somebody in the church was right, our faces were right next to each other. And my daughter is this mix between uh, my wife and I. Hudson is, is much like my wife. Cohen is much like me. Nova is kind of this wild card in so many ways. <laughs> um, she's going to break me. Just so you guys know, health professionals out in the church, I'm going to need you in a big way, mental health professionals, when she gets a little older. It's true. I'm not <laughs> um, I picked her up, and somebody at the, at the church looked at me. He goes, she's looking so much more like your wife now. And it's true, as she's growing, as she's, as she's fleshing out, she's looking more and more like my wife and less and less like me. I've got this weird, weird mashup of the two of us. And what's weird about that is, notice what they said. They said, your daughter looks like her predecessor. She has finality in her DNA. Part of who she is and how she's becoming is already, already in her. It's final, it's done, it's there. She's becoming more like my wife, because why? Because it's, it's mapped into her. She looks like her. Now, here's what this means about Christ as seed to us. And this seed, it, this seed is also the seed used elsewhere in the scriptures to talk about male DNA. It, it's, that's what it says. It says the seed of Christ, the DNA replicant, the, the thing that's the double helix that's inside of you is a seed of Christ's nature implanted into you. It's final. Church, let me encourage you with something. How do you know you're a Christian? I just simply ask you, do you want to be a Christian? Because if you answer yes to that, my encouragement is, then he's compelling you. If I ask you, do you want to be a Christian? And you say, I do. No one can say they want Christ that's outside of Christ. It's this really weird thing that happens in the Bible. How do you know that you are a Christian? It's not that you're welcome to be a Christian. It's that you're already a Christian. The seed's in you. The DNA's in you. You want Christ. And you go, yes, I want him. Congratulations, you're a Christian. Now, if I say, do you want to be a Christian? You're like, nah. Guess what? You're not a Christian. Like, it's, it's that simple. Because we have a seed DNA in us. That's what John tells us. It's final. It's complete. Do you want God and his life that he gives you? 
Now, if I was to flesh this out a little bit more, if I was to ask you further, if I were to tell you something like this, if I was to ask you maybe an even more pointed question, if I was to say, does God owe you a good life? Hmm? This, is, this is one of my favorite pastoral questions to ask people all the time. If you, if, if you ask me to go to coffee with you, just prepare. I'm going to ask you this question. You're going to roll your eyes at me. I'm going to ask you. Say, does God owe you a good life? And here's what I want to encourage you with. If you say, yes, God owes me a good life, do you know why you say that? Because you think you own God. And you think you own goodness. And you think you're better than him. And you, do you see, church? Do you see, friends? If I was to ask you, does God owe you a good life? And you go, no. He doesn't owe me anything. Do you know what that indicates? That indicates that you know the life that you have is his gift to you. That it's actually his, his possession, his gift. I, uh, I, I use this story sometimes as a... I, I, I don't like how this played out, but it is, in fact, very biblical. I gifted my guitar. I was, I was in high school. A buddy of mine wanted to play guitar, and so I gifted him my guitar. I said, here you go. He wanted to learn. I said, great, here it is. Have fun. It was a nice guitar. It wasn't the best. It was nice. And then six months after learning to play the guitar, um, he like, was like, ah, I'm done playing guitar. He found another friend that wanted to learn guitar. So what he did was he sold the guitar to the other friend. I was like, what? <laughs> that's, that's my guitar. <laughs> what are you doing with my guitar? I gifted it to you. I gave it to you. And he turned around and sold it. Now, I don't like how that played out because do you know what he thought of that guitar the second it changed possession? This is my guitar. I said, actually, it's not. It's mine. Well, in America, I know in America, I don't care. <laughs> Possessions, nine-tenths of law, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I gave it to you. You're supposed to steward that. See, the second you think, I'm going to turn around and give what I have, I'm going to take good life, I deserve a good thing, is the second you think you own your life, is the second you think you did anything to live. Maybe ask another question. What did you deserve to keep breathing? And you say, whoa, that's woof. I don't like that question. I really don't like that question, Pastor. I, know, I don't like it either. But if you say, I deserve to live because of what I do, do you know what you've just said right there? Let me, help, let me encourage you not to think that way. The second you say, I deserve to breathe air because, and you fill in any blank, if I take away that thing you filled out, guess what you no longer deserve? The air you breathe. Now that sounds very bad, doesn't it? I don't want that life over. I don't want that hanging over me. Where if I said, God, I deserve a good life because of how moral I am. And the second I'm not moral, guess what happens to all the good things that he gave me? Gone. I deserve a good life because I think right. Guess what happens when I stop thinking the way that I do? Gone. Do you see? A Christian is somebody who says, who answers this question, do you deserve a good life? And your answer is no. <laughs> then why do you have a good life? Because God's the best father in the world. That's why. That's the answer. And then secondly, so that's the first part. It's final. It's complete. It's his authority. The second is it's, it's gradual. Uh, what is contained in an apple tree seed? Uh, not a trick question. It's an apple tree. Like, like an apple tree DNA is in there. My children all the time just start putting apple seeds in soil every time we go somewhere. They're like, we're going to plant this thing. I'm like, go for it. Have fun. It's not going to sprout. We'll come, and they come back, and there's like a weed growing down the road. I'm like, look, it's a tree. And I'm like, yes, honey, it's a, it's a tree. <laughs> it's, 
In an apple seed, there is the DNA of a tree. It's final, it's complete. But how does that tree come about? Does it happen overnight? Does one morning you put the seed in the soil and the next morning you come out and boom, tree, sequoia, 100 feet tall? No. How does it happen? Gradual, over time, growth. Church, can I encourage you with something, friends? If you're not the person you think you should be, praise God, because you know what you have time to do? Grow. Do you know how Christ grows in you? If he's in you, it's final, and he's going to take you from A to B. He promises us. Friends, he promises us. He will make you into completion. He will present you full and blameless on the day. It is final and it's gradual. A Christian is somebody who says, I don't deserve a good life, but I have a good life. I'm able to breathe. I'm able to stand up. I'm able to have gifts. I'm able to think. I'm able to be in his presence because he's so good, not because I'm so good. And he doesn't owe me anything. That's a Christian. And it's gradual. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.24 gives this analogy for us and trying to encourage you. How do you know, if, if, if I was to tell you, my, my son's doing basketball and he's learning to be part of a team and there's rules for being on a team. He has to keep his grades up. And if his grades slip, guess what happens? He doesn't get to play. And he says, how could they tell me a rule like that, dad? And I go, son, get used to it. Like, this is life. You get told rules that you had no option in speaking into. You get told them all the time. I have to drive... 45 on Lakeshore Drive, which is insane, so I don't, <laughs> but I will get a ticket when I go 55, I promise you. Well, maybe not. Um, I'm really hoping I don't. First Corinthians tells us this, do you not know that in the race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. What Paul's saying is this, what he's saying to us is the Christian life is like becoming an athlete and being part of a team. When you become part of the team, how do you win the race? By subjecting yourself to training, by growing. Are you part of the team? Yes. Even the bench player, even, even the, the 12th person on the basketball rotation that never gets minutes in a game, are they on the team? Yes. Do they subject themselves to training, to rigorous physical altercations? Do they break down their muscles and their body and their lungs to grow? Yes. Does that mean they're not part of the team if they're not? No, they, being part of the team means they subject themselves to this authority. They have bed checks, and they, they don't eat certain things. Uh, if you ever watch any boxing or, 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 or fighting show, the second that the fighters are done fighting, do you know what they do? They just start shoving food in their face because they cut weight to make weight, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm starving. And they just start shoving fruit and, and, and carbs. We have people who are training for the marathon, and... Every day they are out there hitting the pavement, hitting a treadmill, training themselves, building up their lungs. Why? They want to run the race well. A Christian is somebody who is part of the team and therefore subjects themselves to the team rules. Why? So they could run the race. Do you see? And then lastly, how we are saved. A Christian is somebody part of the team who subjects themselves to the authority of the coach, the coach being the king, Christ. Because we have sin, because we're lawless and we need a, a coach, we need a king. And then lastly, how are we saved? It says in verse 9, no one born again go on, goes on being lawless. John, the author here, says in John 3, 5 through 7, enter the kingdom is to be born again. That's what he says, to enter the kingdom 
is to be born again. First John says to be born again is being coming under the law, having no lawlessness. Okay, here's, here's where I want to end this. Anybody ever seen a birth happen? Okay, if you haven't, buckle up. It is violent. It is, it is a new kingdom reality. If you haven't seen a birth happen, maybe you've seen kingdoms war and kingdoms fight. What happens in war? What happens in a fight? What happens in tension? What happens when East Germany and West Germany, what happens when one country tries to take sovereignty over another country? There's conflict, there's battle, there's tension, there's a war. Uh, birthing is much like a war. It is, it is violent, it is bloody, it is, it is tension-filled. There is a fight going on. I know. It's not great. It's, it's weird. And yet, that's exactly the imagery that Christ, John, they all use to describe our coming from one reality to the next reality. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's not even clean. It's really messy. It's really painful. Church, I want to encourage you, if you want to be a Christian because you know the lawlessness of this world means that you don't have authority because, and you don't have good things because we're not under the law, I want to encourage you with something. The chaotic closing of one reality is the opening of new life of a next one. The chaotic closing of one reality is new life in the next reality. When you became a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're a faith, if you believe the gospel, you had to die to self, Scripture says. You had to be born again. And actually, it's really funny. In, in John account, somebody looks at Jesus and goes, oh, should I crawl back up in my mother's womb? You're like, ah, really funny. Dad joke, woo. That's not what he's saying. He's saying and, and, he, and he says, it's another kingdom. It's coming under the authority of the king. It's painful. It's violent. It's messy. Why do I say this to you? I want to encourage you, friends. If you think Christianity is an easy transition of intellectual assessment, it's not. If you want to say, no, becoming a Christian is good feelings and good thoughts and, and, and being a good person, it's not. Becoming a Christian is a violent closing of one kingdom and the reopening of another. It's a regime change. Think of history. Has any, think of one country that was like, oh, we're going to change the entire course of our people's civilization, and it happened overnight, and it happened without conflict and without death. Did that ever happen? No. And the one thing you're thinking about didn't actually happen the way that you think it did. Okay, just, it didn't happen, I promise you. Why? Because people are involved. Every single time, we have a couple pregnant women in the church, so T's and P's to you guys for this violent understanding right now. Every single time I, I hear women talk about giving birth, and they start sharing stories, you know, it's like, shh, quiet, like, keep it on the down low. I, I don't want to keep it on the down low. I don't want to keep the Christian reality of coming from one kingdom to the next, of a violent closure of one thing, a bloody war of civil disobedience coming out of the kingdom. I don't want to keep it quiet because you know what happens the second that you don't understand what you're coming into? You don't understand the, the, the reality of what's expected of you. When you become a Christian, God says, it's me or nothing. You don't get part of me. You don't get a little part of me. You don't get a little law of me. You don't get a little teaching of me. It's either all of me or none of me. Your choice. That's what a new kingdom, that's what being on a team is. That's what birth is. You'd be like, ah, I'll give birth to a kid, but kind of like 10% like of the pain. 
can I have a gestational period of one month? That'd be fantastic. Nope. You get nine months or eight months, whatever it is, and you, you go through the birthing process. This is, your, this is what you want. Or you don't want it. Do you see, church? How we are saved is a chaotic closing of our reality, but oh, church, can I encourage you? What does it yield? Can I tell you the goodness of what it yields to, be, to close one kingdom and open the next kingdom, to be born again? Let me encourage you what it means. It says in verse 10, no one can be righteous if they don't love their brother. It's this quick little, it's this, John kind of throws it at the end, doesn't he? Here's what he means. Here's what he's trying to capture. Here's what he's summarizing by saying that. You have Christ as a brother. You have the church as a sibling. You are completely known and completely accepted. Isn't that the best family? To be completely known by somebody. Let me, let me ask you this. If I were to completely know you and all of your faults and all of your ugliness, but it was unsure if I was going to accept you, would you ever tell me your sin? Let me tell you, you guys don't. <laughs> you're just now, many of you are just now confessing your sin to me. Because you're like, oh, I'm still got an eye on you, pastor. And we'll see. We'll check it out. But you're like, okay, let me, I'll, give you, I'll give you like my little sin first and see how you handle that. Oh, okay, all right, well, hold on, I got more. <laughs> you're not completely known unless you're completely accepted. And you won't be completely accepted until you're completely known, right? You can't be completely accepted. If you fake your way through life and you present a different person of who you are and people accept that, pre that presentation, you'll never be fully accepted because you'll say the entire time, I'm a fraud. You have to be fully accepted, but you have to be fully known. That's what Christ did on the cross. What is sin? Lawlessness. How do we become a Christian? By having him as king through a violent tearing of our old kingdom into a new kingdom. What's the result? To be loved like nobody's been loved before. To be known like nobody's been known before. To be like Christ, who on the cross said this, the only time Christ uses, every time he talks about God the Father, do you know what he calls him? He calls him, he calls him Father, except one time on the cross. Do you know what he said? Lord. He uses a formal word. Before it was Daddy, Papa, da Father. All of a sudden on the cross, he says, Lord, why? Why? Tim Keller says this. He said that he gave up his, his, his sonship his being a son of God so that we could be called sons and daughters. He removed himself out of that place so that in his place we can step and be called children of God. That's why. Do you know who fully knows you? I, I walk into my son's room and I see the look on his face and I know when he's lying instantaneously. Fully known. I fully love that kid. There's no lie that he can give me that I wouldn't love him. Church, stop lying to God. Friends, be accepted by the one who knows everything and be known by the one who accepts you. That is what you get. That is who he became so that you and I could be called children of God. What a gift. What a savior. And therefore, we get the good life of a kind person. And kindness is all we need because we have the kindest father and the kindest brother and the kindest savior who died for you and I and took our place. That's what you get. So here's my question to you. Do you want that? If you say, no, I don't want that, okay, I understand. It's a lot. It's a violent closing of one kingdom. It's painful. It's 
It's messy. But if you want it, oh, friends, you get so much goodness. Don't do it because you get goodness, because he asks you to do things that you don't like, I promise you. But do it because he's a good father who loves his children completely. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.